just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this section of scripture. Show us what you would have us to see. We just thank you for each person that's here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 7. And our hope for you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the suffering, so you also shall of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, that you have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had a sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. We, you also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many people, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. All right, so we're going to look at this. Paul is talking about trials that he has had on his trip. What happened in Asia? Asia, Asia Minor, they were, they were put into prisons and stuff. He doesn't go into it in this book. He's assuming that they know. And because we don't know exactly when this was written, we don't fully know which of the events in. It's the Middle East as we know it. Specifically Turkey in that area is where he's talking about. So, and that was his whole, all of his trips were into that area. We call it the Middle East, and he called it Asia. Asia Minor, as it's also known. And he says, our hope in you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of suffering, so you shall also be of the consolation. And what Paul is saying here is, when we suffer, we suffer for Christ, and there is consolation afterwards. God is going to give the blessing afterward. And this is something we have to be able to start grabbing hold of, and especially in our country, because we don't have this idea that suffering is from God, and, a, and it ultimately he leads to blessing. And yet all through the scriptures, we see suffering, and then we see suffering, and then we see the blessings that come from God on the suffering. We see it in Job's life. Reward, consolation, the goodness that comes through the suffering, that comes after the suffering. And, you know, remember we've said this so many times, the apostles' answer to their suffering was, thank God we were worthy to suffer for Christ. Now, especially in American Christianity and even European Christianity, in other places, there's this whole idea that if you're suffering, something's wrong. Paul is saying, we suffer, but there's also going to be constellation at the end of the suffering. And we look at this all through the scriptures, we see it. Abraham was told, leave your family and go wandering. And yes, he had blessings, but there's a lot of suffering in just wandering around with no home. We see Joseph sold into slavery. Finally getting his life put together as a slave, he becomes the head slave, and then he gets sent into prison on false charges. Then he finally gets promoted. His constellation was that final promotion. And you can almost picture him saying, okay, God, I was promoted in, in Potiphar's house and I got, you know, I got knocked down. I got promoted in the prison and this one I got out of. How long is it going to be until I get knocked down again? Uh, but that's not the way he looked at it. Daniel goes into captivity into Babylon and rises up into great authority and power. Why? Because he honored God. He stayed faithful to God and he was honored through that and his constellation was the reward. After suffering from God will come constellation. All through the Psalms we saw David complaining about things and he would end up with the constellation of God. We see this over and over in the scriptures. We suffer and God gives blessing. Suffering, God gives blessing. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul understood the Old Testament really well. And remember, he was a Pharisee, and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was one that was taught by Gamaliel, the th number three Jewish teacher of all time. Okay, and in Paul's day, the number one teacher. So he understood the Old Testament, and he understood that when God gives hardship, he gives that blessing and consolation comes from, through. And I'm sure he comforted himself many times with just that thought. For us, we've got to be careful because too many people think, well, everything's got to be all good and, and no problems. Well, God never promised us no problems, ever. 
You know, Jesus is one who deserved no problems, and he didn't get no problems. All through his, all through his life he had problems, and then he got crucified. So we need to be very careful on how we look at where we're going and what we expect. And if we're expecting nothing but good, which is what so many of the prosperity doctrine pastors teach us, we're in trouble. Because we're going to be totally disappointed and, and not understand anything. But Paul says there is constellation. Worst case is there's constellation when we die. But you know, I've over my lifetime seen that God gives rewards if we're looking for the rewards that he's giving. But God gives us a great reward all the time. He gives us a new day to spend serving him. Do you realize that every day is a blessing from God? Because if it wasn't, he'd take us to heaven. He's got a plan for us. How many times do we miss God's plan because we get stuck in, it's not what I wanted doesn't happen. You know, I don't get what I want, so God, something's not right. A lot of people wallow in their expectations not being met. We see it all the time in churches. We're just not singing the songs I like or doing this that I like or, you know, bringing this singer in or, or the, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that, you know, the music's too loud, the music's too quiet, the music is too much instruments, the music is too much tradition. And, you know, pastor speaks too long, pastor speaks too short, he's too loud, he reads too much of the Bible, he reads too little of the Bible, we don't pray enough, we, read, we pray too much. You know, everybody has what they want and they're happy with what God gives them. Well, contrary, but the bigger problem is people are self-centered more than anything else. They want what they want instead of saying, I'm the servant and I want what God wants. And this is very important for us to understand. I want what God wants. And that may mean that we give up what I want. And it's very true that, you know, we need to be very careful. God, what would I like? Well, God, I'd like to have a big church with no problems. Contradiction in terms. Oxymoron. Yeah, yeah, oxymoron. No. Contradiction in terms, not going to happen. You know, God, I'd like a small church with no problems. Sorry, not going to happen. God gives us problems so that we will learn to depend upon him. And it's very important for us to learn to depend on him in all avenues of our life. Because when we think we can do it, we're in trouble. Always. We will always have trouble when we think somehow I can get it accomplished. Verse 8 said, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, how we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. There have been times in, in all of our life where we kind of, maybe not going through as much as Paul went through, but maybe we're in despair of ever seeing what we want to have happen and, and seeing what we think. In this case, Paul literally, you know, you got to think about it. You read the book of Acts. Paul was run out of town in many cases, uh, stoned, uh, you know, whipped, you know, yeah. in the jail. Whipped and put into jail, put into jail and then run out of town, shipwrecked, uh, on the island of Malta, bit by the serpent, you know, as he's throwing the wood on the, on the, on the fire. Shipwrecked. Shipwrecked, you know. So the, the caught by Jesus or just things that just happened? Things that happened to make us depend on God. I mean, you know, it's like... There's storms out in the sea, you know, there's certain times of the year there's storms. But there's also storms that just come up. Doesn't God expect you to have the sense to know the weather patterns? And that's why if Paul didn't travel during the times that the storms were, he weather he that's why it took him a long time. No, you're not to go out and do stupid things just so you can suffer. But we're going to suffer regardless if we're following God. All the suffering is, I guess my point is, all the suffering is not necessarily from God. Where is it? All suffering is allowed by God. Now, we may do things that deserve the suffering, and we may do things that don't deserve the suffering. And this is why I say over and over again, when something bad happens to us, our first thing we need to do is say, is this punishment for something that I have done? If it is, you confess your sin, you, you ask God's forgiveness, and you, and you go through the consequences. 
If it's not, then you go, God, what are you trying to teach me through all of this? Or am I just to, to suffer for this? Because the disciples went through many beatings, and why did they go through the beatings? Because the people told them, don't preach God, and they said, I'm going to preach God anyway. And so they took the suffering. They disobeyed man and obeyed God, and they took the pain and suffering for being disobedient. We need to be very careful when we're, when we're in these situations. God, what are you trying to teach me? In Job's case, he, was, he did not deserve anything of what happened to him because what was God's testimony of Job? Here is a righteous and perfect man, an upright man who hates evil. And he goes through one of the worst tribulation periods that anybody has ever gone through so that he could be proven for his faithfulness because Satan says, if you do this, he's going to reject you, God. God says, okay, you can do. You can take away his possessions. Didn't seem to phase him. You can take away his health. Didn't seem to phase him too much. You know, told his wife, you know, shall we accept good from God's hands and not, not evil? Gets four friends trying to tell him how bad he was. That began to get, in, get, get, get to him. Satan still got to him to, after enough trial. And, you know, this is the thing that I keep saying over and over again. God will keep allowing us to go through trials, not so that he can prove to himself what we go through, but so he can prove to us. Do you really believe what you believe? And this is something that is very important. When we're trying to learn to love somebody, God puts somebody who's hard to love in our, in our path and says, are you going to love this person? Are you going to love this person the way that I want you to love them? When you start thinking, well, God, I want to start giving more tithes and offerings, God is going to put things into your path that say, are you really going to pay, you know, pay me first or are you going to put others first? Okay. God, I really trust you no matter what. He may take away your stuff to see if you trust him, just like Job did. God's trials are to, for us to learn because we have this habit of lying to ourselves. God, I believe it. I'm, I'm so good. God, I'm just so good. I'll, I'll follow you no matter what. Yeah. You know, Peter, when all of these leave you, I won't abandon you. I'm going to make sure. I, I'll follow you to the death. You know, and he runs and he denies Jesus. Yeah, but you know, this is, when we make some kind of boast like that in our mind, God's going to test that and say, well, are you really what you think you are? I'm not. I, I proved that. Most of us aren't. Most of us aren't. When we start bragging about things, most of us aren't the greatest thing since sliced bread, and God's going to prove it to us so that we know that we have to depend on him. But we all tend to be that way. We tend to say, we got it all together. God, I would never deny you. And then first thing we're doing is, oh, I, I can either admit to God, that, you know, stay, take my stand for God or lose my job. Mm. Most people would deny God and not lose their job. Peter, I mean, I'll never deny you, and he's running, you know, running scared from little girls. Yeah. Okay. We need to be careful because God is going to test us, and he's going to set the test up that it's going to make a hard test to pass. Okay, we're promised that nothing is beyond our means of getting through, but that means of getting through is to turn to God. If we don't turn to God, we will fail in the middle of the test, always. And how I describe that is when you're in, in kindergarten level faith, he gives you a kindergarten test, and a kindergarten test to a kindergartner is hard. Yes. Okay, a kindergartner test to a high school student would be a laugh, because it's not a test. So as we mature in God, our tests will get harder because it must. Our test is designed to break us if we try to do it in our own strength. He's making us turn to him to get through the test. The test will always break us if we try to do it on our own. I wonder if we expect God sometimes to understand why I can't No, there's all kinds of things we'll try to do. You know, God, God's not strong enough to take care of us in our mind. And this is true. Even when, you do it, even when you do it for righteous reasons, you may or may not get reward, the reward right back. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. God, you really understand that I can't do this because. And God's saying, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I can, I can, I can take care of you. God has always blessed me to at least pay my bills. I've had trouble sometimes. It's been hard. I've had to work very hard. And given my tithes and offerings of whatever I got during those times and watch him meet my needs. God has never left me without my needs being met. Now, does that mean I have all the wants? You know, when I was living by faith and barely, barely making it, we never went out to dinner. We never did anything really special. But the house payment was made. The insurance payments were made. The car insurance was paid. There was food on the table. All the utilities were paid. Sometimes I had to work very hard to get those things, doing four or five extra little jobs and, and all of that. But God always met the need. Now, did he meet everything I wanted? No. You know, we weren't eating steak and, and, and all these things. Sometimes, sometimes all we had was you know, noodles and a little bit of sauce. But, and yes, he understands that we need our jobs. But, you know, there was a job that I left because the boss said, you, I want you to do something, and it was clearly illegal. And I go, no, I can't. And I lost my job. I got another job fairly quickly, but that was a scary time. Okay, God, what are we going to do here? And I had four kids at home at the time. It was a scary moment and a scary thing to go through. But, you know, we need to be careful because God is saying, don't lean on your understanding. You know, when we try to lean on our own understanding, it, it just won't work. Our understanding is faulty and fallen just like we are. Here Paul is saying, we despaired even of life. That's a pretty serious place to be. Okay. Now, he may be talking about the time he was in the ocean. He might have been talking about the beating. He might have been talking about Philippi, where he was beat and thrown into prison. We don't know exactly where this is, but it was saying he despaired of life. God, my life is empty. My life is over. Or this is, where, is this where I'm ending? Is this where I'm ending? Is, is everything going to end? We need to look at this. The th most important thing about it is God is sovereign. Nothing is going to happen to us until God allows it to happen. Right? Satan had to ask for permission to touch Job's health, touch his possessions, and surprisingly, God said, yes, go ahead. Now, many of us would say, God, would you quit saying yes so often? <laughs> I, I, God, please, you know, what, what is this you're putting me through? Quit saying yes. But does God test the weaker, weaker believer the same as he tests the stronger believer? He's going to test all of them, but not the same. He's going to test them at the level okay. that they're Gardner. capable. And this is what I say. A kid in our gardener gets a kindergarten but test. He, uh, he, so the, the, the new Christian is going to get tested in a different way. Somebody that's been in the church faithfully for years. Yes, but to each one, it's the same. It's a difficult test. All right, and this is why I keep saying, the test I go through after 48 years of walking with God is going to be very different from somebody who's a brand new Christian, or even a person who may be knowing God for 48 years but hasn't studied as much. And there's people who have done more study and are further along than me that their test after 48 years would be even harder. Okay, it's in direct relationship with where you're at with God. And in one area of your test, you may be taking a kindergarten test. In another area, you may be taking a doctorate test because you're at different areas in different parts of your life. But both tests are going to seem hard to the person who's receiving it. Okay, as I said, if you give the kindergartner a kindergarten test, it's a hard test for them. You give it to the sixth or seventh grader, you know, uh, what, are you, what is this, you know, you wanted me to do one plus one, two plus two? You know, uh, are you kind of, of crazy? What, what's the catch to this test? <laughs> you know, give that to the university. Okay, here's your test today. One plus one is two is what? 
and they're going to look at you like, especially at the college level, they're going to go, all right, what's the trick to this test? What are you trying, you know, God's test will be hard for each one of us to go through because it's designed to be difficult for us where we're at. You know, we got to be really understand God is so personal. He understands where we think we're strong and we're not. He understands where we are strong and we may not even understand that we're strong and he'll give us a test in that area sometimes. He also understands what we cannot handle and won't test us in that area yet. Okay, God has a personal plan for our life. There's no temptation overtaking, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not tempt you above that which you are able to withstand, but will provide the way of escape. The way of escape is Jesus Christ. Now, if we're really smart in the middle of the test, we say, Jesus, I need your help early before I go through all the struggle. <laughs> now, most of us aren't that smart <laughs> before we finally start saying, Jesus, help. Uh, now, there are tests that we do pass, okay? We don't want to say we're always making the wrong decision, you know, and this is why I say, when we're really doing it right, we go to Jesus right away and say, God, I've got this one, help me. <laughs> you know, I'm going to you right away. But as Amy said, most of the time we struggle, we're, we're already into the punishments before we go, oh, you know what, God, I need your help. The whole purpose of the test is to show us this is what I should have done. And then when you get through the test, you look back on it and say, wow, it was so easy when I let God get me through that test. Yeah. And this is what I've said so many times. We need to learn to surrender to God. And everybody before they're in there will go, how do you surrender to God? How do you surrender to God? You do it. Then when you pass the test, you look back on it and say, boy, that was so easy to surrender to God. And it really is amazing when you look back on it and say, wow, it was so simple. But then, but then in the same vein, you pass that test, you look back, and you do the same thing all over again. Because it's a new test, it's a new area that you haven't surrendered over to God, or it's a deeper test if it's the same area. You know, this is the problem with humans. We are very dense and, and crazy. We keep making the same problems. Which is why, as I've said so many times, God repeats himself in the Bible so many times because he knows who we are. And it's really sad because I've met people who go, well, I learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah, you might learn a little bit from mistakes, but I guarantee you most of the time your good learning, the biggest part of your learning has come school of hard knocks. You, know, you can only learn so much from watching other people fail. You can learn. Don't get me wrong. I've learned a lot of things over the years. like human nature and delight in yeah, well, I try not to do that, but uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of Christians do. A lot of Christians, you know, are pleased when others fail. Well, a lot of Christians do too. I've met people who are Christians, I'm sure are Christians, that delight in the failures of others because we tend to compare ourselves. Yeah, I didn't fall for that. Look, look at how bad they, look, look where they fell into. Yeah. You know, and we want to be careful about that because it is easy. It is easy to start judging ourselves and comparing ourselves to others. And I would have never fallen for that. But as soon as you say that, I'm guaranteeing God's going to give you a problem just like it that you're going to fall down and fall flat on your face. We got to be careful not to judge one another. Because I can tell you one thing that's really important, and I think about this because another Christian leader has just fallen in the last, in the last couple months. A really strong Christian leader has fallen. We need to be careful to pray for that person because, you know, if we were in their shoes, we might have fallen five, six years ago. You know, we don't know what it took to make that person fall. And what would we have done if we were in the same place? We might have fallen on the first test. You know, how many tests did we go through? 20, 30, 40, 5,000, 10,000? We don't know how many times he passed the test. And then finally, just the right place fell. And God and says, my grace is sufficient for you. For some of them, it is just so they can learn grace. And we need to be careful when we look at somebody else and say, well, how could that person have fallen? You know, look at him. Look at them. They fell. Yeah, well, how many times did they not fail? How easy do you fail? 
you know, when you're judging that other person for their failure. And Paul's saying, you need a spirit of life in verse 9. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead. When we think that we're so bad, we're so suffering, and we're at the end of our rope, but God. I turn to God and watch what God can do. Do you realize that God can turn any situation around no matter how bad we mess up? God can turn it around and fix it. He takes the broken pieces of our life. He doesn't just fix the broken pieces. He makes new, brand new pieces and puts our life back together when we turn to him. And a lot of times you put them back together better than where you were when you fell. Yes. We get strength. We get a little bit of empathy. We get a little bit of understanding of what it means when somebody else falls. But our good news is it allows me to be gentler on other people when they fail. Because if I can fall and they fall, I need to learn to be able to just comfort them, yes. not be in judgment of them. You know, God's grace is sufficient. He redeems the time. He restores what Satan has destroyed. You look at Job's life, and his life looked like it was totally ruined. He'd lost everything except for his wife. And God gave him back everything at, at the end of his life. You know, so he doubled everything that Job had. He gave him twice as much as he took away from him in his end days including his kids, because he never lost his first kids. They just went to heaven before he did. And then he got another set of kids, the same number. And you're right, poor Mrs. Mrs. Job had to have, those, have, a, have an additional nine kids, ten kids. Eighteen or twenty kids. I can't remember if it was nine or ten kids, you know, but they had to double it. We see, in the long run, even when we fail, God uses that as a blessing in, a, in, in disguise. One of the things that happens is how many times have you failed and then have somebody come to Christ because of that watching you be faithful to God? You fell flat on your face and they watched you and said, this person's still following God. How can they follow God when they've fallen flat on their face? Because they don't understand that his mercies are new every morning, that God's grace is sufficient for us. And we come through it, we've confessed our sin, God forgives us, and we come walking back with God. And they look at him and say, you know, What's wrong with you? Your God let you down. How could you be still following God? My God never let me down. I failed a test, but he never let me down. We let God down. We let him down. We fail. If you will not repent, he'll probably call you home early. Or as in the case of Moses, and I've said this over and over, Moses struck the rock the second time when he wasn't in his anger, when he was supposed to just speak to it. God told him, you're not going into the promised land and I truly, really, truly believe the reason he was not going to go into the promised land is God knew that he would never repent. And what was his attitude from that point on? Every time in the book of Deuteronomy, it's your guys' fault that I'm not going into this, into the promised land. It's your fault, your fault, your fault. He never repented. And God said, all right, you don't get to go into the promised land. You won't repent. You won't follow me into this. You know, and God... You know, and I really truly believe that Moses, in this case, in, as you said, died early because he would not repent, would not, would not come to God over this issue. And yes, God does bring people home early. If they're not going to repent, they're going to ruin the testimony of God and, and follow him. God will take them home. Now, that is much further than most of us will ever go. You know, most of us will say, God, you should have taken that person home a long time ago. And God's saying, no, I'm going to give them every opportunity I can. When people stand before God at the white throne judgment, he's going to show them every opportunity they had to accept Jesus Christ. And, and ignored or threw away or rejected. And there's going to be no one without excuse when they stand before God before they go to hell. God's going to say, you got what you asked for. You rejected me over and over and over again. And God keeps trying. He is so patient. He's patient with the lost person he's trying to, to bring to him. He's patient with us as his followers to keep trying. Aren't you glad sometimes that God is so patient with us? I'm glad. I mean, 
Six years to learn a lesson is a long time to learn a lesson, and God was patient with me. You know, he kept putting me through all kinds of issues and problems and, and areas to bring me to my idea. And finally, I just said, God, I give up. And all of a sudden, everything just changed. I should have been one of those people he called home early. But if you're not called home early, you're not one of them he should have called home early. He knew that you would come. He knew that I would come eventually to where I was supposed to be. And if somebody is out there still alive, it's because God says, there's more, there's a chance. There's a chance. I'm going to keep putting the opportunity. Nobody is beyond redemption until they're dead. And we've got to keep that in mind. Right. We get burned out a long time. God, you know, I'm really tired of this person. Why don't you, you know, they're just beyond. Nobody, nobody's going to reach them. And God says, no, they're still here. There's hope. Now, he knows whether they're going to respond or not. If they're not lost, he's going to give them every opportunity to come to him. If they're lost, he's going to give them every opportunity to come to him. Because he loves people so much. You know, if God gave us what we deserve, the first time we sinned, and he would kill us and send us to hell. But the mercy he gives us over and over and over again. And you know, even for those of us who are actively following him and generally doing the right things, we still make a lot of bad decisions. A lot of times that we don't listen to him, we don't say the things, we're not listening to that still small voice. We get to the end of the day and go, God, you know, uh, God, I didn't have anybody to share the gospel with. How come I didn't get to him? God says, what about this person? What about this person? At least he does to me. And you know, when I get to the end of the day and go, God, I, I, man, I messed up today. God, who did I miss? Because I've been to that place where I'm asking, who did I miss? Because I know he gave me opportunities. And all of a sudden it'll be, oh, man, that person said this. I could have, I could have given here. This person did this. Oh, man, God, oh, man, thank you for keeping me as dense and dumb as I am. But you know, God is going to continue. And Paul says, God is the restorer of the dead. He gives us life when we don't deserve it. Think about David. David commits adultery, which is a capital punishment, a capital crime for them. Then he goes out and arranges the murder of Uriah, another capital crime. Then he tries to hide it all. You know, he deserves death. And God says, when he finally bows and says, I've committed a crime against you, God, God forgives him. Takes the baby, causes problems in the kingdom. There's consequences. He didn't have to pay the ultimate consequence that he was supposed to pay, but there were huge consequences for his sin. You know, one of them was what you did in secret will be done in public in Absalom when he when he tried to take the kingdom, took all of David's concubines and had sex with them up on the rooftop, taking them in the tents so that people would see what he did. Not the actual act, but see that he was daring to take all those concubines out in the top of the palace up high. You know, so the, the, but that was what God said would happen. The consequence for his sin. You did it in secret, it'll be done in open. God is the restorer of those who are dead. When we think we're dead, we are to be dead to sin. And that's what God is saying. Are you going to be dead to sin and alive to me? We get crucified in our flesh all the time when we let God do it. It hurts. None of us like it. No matter what it is, because whatever God is crucifying in my life is special to me. Otherwise, he wouldn't be crucifying it. Now, the thing is, later on, he'll find something else. Once that woman's dead, I'll find something else to make special to my life, and God will go crucify it. And this is what we keep going through over and over in our lifetime. God reveals deeper and deeper sins. He reveals more and more idols that are precious to us, more precious than he is. And he puts them on the cross and says, okay, you got a new idol? Let me put it on the cross. A new part of your flesh? Let me put it on the cross. The good news is when we finally get a little bit of maturity and we go, okay, God, thank you. You know, we quit fighting it as much. And that takes a lot of growing, but maturity. You know, we raise our kids hoping that someday they'll become mature. Okay? I want to get to the place where I have to quit spanking my kid every time I turn around. And if you do the job right, eventually they get there. You know, doesn't mean we don't have to discipline them 
you know, for probably in some other area. But we need to do this, and this is what God does for us. He keeps disciplining us when, and when we finally learn. Remember, the purpose of discipline is to inflict enough pain in some area of life that you don't repeat it. God is good at giving enough pain in the area that if we're really thinking about it, we don't want to repeat it. Sometimes we're dense, and we have to get a lot of pain. But you know, when we start maturing, the threat of the pain starts like, okay, God, no, no, (laughs) put put this on the cross, God. I don't want to have anything to do with this. But God will keep doing this to us, and the more mature we get with him, the less trials we have to. Hopefully, you know, when we're young, we end up oftentimes when God is dealing with a sin in our life, it takes a long time to get it out of our life. And then as we start to get more and more mature, we start going, God, I don't want to fight with you for, for a decade anymore. I don't want to fight with you for, for three years anymore. God, I don't want to fight for you with you for a year. God, I don't even want to fight with you for a day. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't gotten quite to the day part yet. I, I still fight with God. I still fight with God for months at a time on some things. But you know, I'm also getting better because there are times when I respond so quick. There was an event recently in my life where God says, "Do you really believe this?" And I go, "Okay, God, how much is this going to cost me?" <laughs> you know, it's like, "Okay, God, whatever. You know, tell me, tell me what the answer is, and we're going to just, you know, we're just going to surrender." Now, I don't usually surrender in the first minute of Him talking to me. I haven't gotten there yet usually. But in that one issue, it was like, okay, God, uh, I, I heard you, okay, God, what, what is this going to cost me? What am I giving up this time? Yeah. Boy, if we could just learn to be that responsive to God all the time, most of us don't ever get there. We usually will sit there and fight and argue with God for a period of time. But true maturity is when we get to that place and say, God, I just want to be obedient to you. But there's the, there's the concept of free will. Yeah. I have the will to say, I have the right to say no to God, and God has the right to keep pushing until he gets his way. And this is the important thing for us to understand. God is sovereign. He's going to get his way eventually. God always wins. Yes. He can, he can make it really severe and win quickly, as he did with Saul of Tarsus as he's on the road to Damascus. Okay, He can do it more gentle, where we fight with him for a long period of time. But he's going to keep the intensity up until we finally surrender to him, or he takes us home, and we get a glorified body that t- surrenders to him anyway. You realize he's going to win no matter what. If I'm his child and I fight him tooth and nail so bad that my testimony is so bad that he's going to take me home and I am his child, he glorifies me and I become perfect the moment I die. Now, I don't have a lot of rewards for the life that I lived, but I am made perfect instantly. Or or I learn my lessons and surrender to him and he still wins. I can fight with him for a decade or six years like I've done, or I can surrender real quick, and he's, he's going to win. He is sovereign. He is the king. He is going to get his way. And so we need to just keep this in mind. What's he going to do? He's going to win. You know, he's the only one that's definitely going to win in the end, no matter what. Why? Because he's already paid the price. He's already victorious. When God looks at us, he sees us as what we will be. And we've talked about this. When we get saved, he justifies us. But you know, as soon as he says we're perfect, he looks at what we are going to be somewhere down the road because he goes, every time he looks at us, he says, he looks at us in our glorified state, not where we're at now. The Father sees us perfect because he's outside of time. Because God is outside of time, he sees us as perfect, which is what he says we are, and he skips the whole long period of time where we are being made perfect in our walk. You know, we've got to understand that God sees us different than we see ourselves. 
He is already in heaven fellowshipping with us at the end while we're still living on this world. Remember, I've defined omnipresence as God being present in all of time. He's with Adam and Eve now. He's with us. He is in the millennial kingdom, and he is in the new kingdom already. He knows the beginning from the end because he has already seen it. Yes, and that's what I've said many times. The greatest proof to me that there is an afterlife and God is going to keep his promises, the life he's given me in this life. I have lived such a life with him that even if there wasn't a promise of the future, I'm not losing anything. But because I'm not losing anything and this life has been blessed, I have no regrets in this lifetime. If, even if there wasn't a heaven, which I know there is, but even if there wasn't, I live, I've lived a life that has no regrets. I've lived in peace. I've lived in, with the joy of God and the blessing of God. And because of that joy, because of that peace, because of those blessings, I know that God is going to give me what he said he's going to give me in the afterlife. Has my life been perfect? Absolutely not. I've had all kinds of problems in my life. Yes. The great blessings I get out of the hardships, out of what's going on, is a great blessing. And then verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. We realize that God puts us through trials. He delivers us from the trials. Why? So that we can trust him in the next trial. Okay? We've got to understand what does God put us through. And, you know, we, we talk about looking at some of these testimonies and biographies that I encourage people to read. You know, all the trials that God puts somebody through so that they'll be ready for the bigger trial that follows because God has delivered them from whatever was done in the past. You know, and I love George Mueller. You know, because he had so much faith toward the end of his life. Why? Because he had watched God be faithful every step of the way. You know, was there times when things didn't seem to work? I'm absolutely sure there were times when he didn't have the faith and, he, and things didn't work out the way he thought they should have. But you know, he'd watched God. How did Abraham learn to trust God? He watched how God blessed him. How did David learn to trust God? He watched how God blessed him and delivered him over and over and over again. Of course. They learn from their mistakes as well. We learn, hopefully we learn from our mistakes, but we also learn that God is faithful even in those times. He gives us the blessing that we don't deserve. He promises us that all things work together. Then he puts us into situations where he proves to us that all things work together. And as I said, my answer to God many times has been, God, you've promised that this is going to work out for good. I don't know how it can work out for good. I see, don't see that, but I trust you. And so our key to this is God promises that all things work together. He is sovereign. Now, that doesn't mean that the test isn't going to be all that, e all that hard, but you know, when we really truly believe those two things, no matter what I go through, I, go, I can say, God, I don't understand how this can possibly work together for good, but you've promised that it will. You've been faithful all my life. You've been faithful all these, all these biographies I've read. You've been faithful all their life. You, know, you were faithful through all the people in the Bible, all the biographies I've read. All of my life so far, you've been faithful, so you are going to be faithful in this. Now, does that always make it easy to go through? No. There's still hardship, but it's like, God, I just can't. Sometimes it's literally I'm waiting. God, this is really painful. It's, it's hard. It's, it's painful. I just can't wait to see how it's going to work out. You know, because I know it's going to work out. Why? Again, I encourage you. And you all know I encourage you. Read your Bible every day. Watch what God has done in the past. Read biographies of great Christian people and see how God has made things work out. Uh, Gladius Awal that uh, Annie was talking about the one time goes to China. Okay. They tell her she's too old to go to China. She's too, too dumb to learn the language. You know, she hasn't got enough theology. She goes to China on her own yeah. and goes through some really crazy stuff that God blesses. 
And she does a really, and the book does a really good job of showing how this thing is really dumb. It looks like it's going to be total failure, and then God blesses. All of this happens in each of the biographies that you read. People do a good job showing you how they totally seem to screw it up, and God makes a blessing out of it because that's his promise. You know, and when we start getting the faith of looking at others' lives, and then we look at our own life and say, God, wow, you know, I really messed this part of my life up, God, and look what you've done. God, I really messed this part of my life up, and look what you've done. Then when our test really becomes hard, we should be able to go back and say, all right, God, don't, don't know how. You know, yes, God, I messed it up, or you're trying me, or whatever it might be, but I know it's going to be for good. Now, I also learned the hard way, if somebody's going through trials, don't quote Romans 8.28 to them unless you know for a fact that they believe the verse. Romans 8.28, all things work together for good according to the purpose of God. If they don't believe that verse before they're in the middle of the trial, do not quote that verse to them because they'll get angry. Quit quoting these verses to me. Now, if somebody was to tell me and I'm in the middle of a hard, shot, a hard time and remind me Romans 8.28, I'd probably say thank you. I would say thank you because I so truly believe that verse is true. I might forget it in the middle, you know, in the middle of it for a moment or two. And if somebody comes along, just remember Romans 8.28. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, if somebody has died, in, that's not the time to quote to them, precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. <laughs> Unless they truly believe beforehand. Okay. Uh, and they'll be glad that they're in heaven. But if they don't truly believe that beforehand, don't quote that verse to them. Okay. We have to be careful what verses we give to people because if they don't believe it before then, the verse that might be a comfort to me may not be a comfort to that person. So we want to be careful. You know, and here Paul's saying, God can deliver us from the dead. And he will deliver us again. This is why experience is such a valuable thing for us. We watch what God does in our life and know that he can do it again. We watch what he does in other people's lives and say, okay. And I say this over and over again. We read the stories in the Bible and go, okay, God, you, you, do, you really did nice things 2,000 years, 4,000 years ago. But we're human. What are you, what are you doing today? God, look at, you know, look what you did in Fox's Book of Martyrs. All these people for, for a thousand years, you, you, you just blessed them over. Yeah, they had to die, but you blessed. Look at what came out of that. But what are you doing today? God, look what you've done in these people who are a little closer to our century. You know, they're, they're from the 18th or 19th, you know, the ninth and, or the 20th century. All right, God, I'm beginning to get a little more faith. I'm getting a little more trust. Okay, God, man, look what you've done in my life. And this is why it's important for us to put markers in our life for when God does big things in our life. Because what happens when we're in the middle of the trial? God, oh, nothing but bad ever happens to me. I've never had anything good happen to me. And God's going to say, what about last week? What about a month ago? What about, you know, a year ago? What about, what about, what about? And if we're too negative, we don't hear the what abouts. This is why I encourage people, in your life, make a computer file that puts the good things that are happening, in a notebook, whatever you need for yourself, write down what he's done to bless you. And when you feel like nothing is going right, go back to that book and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, God, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. You know what, God, you might just bless me in the middle of this. And as soon as you get there, then all of a sudden, Romans 8.28 becomes a real thing to you. Oh, wow, God, yes, you've blessed me so many other places. All right, God, I'm just waiting to see how this is going to turn into a blessing. Can't see how. Don't understand how it can be turned into a blessing, God. But you've promised that it will become a blessing. And very important, he brings life from death. I want to finish this paragraph. Verse 11. You also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many people, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Do you realize that we're never going through things alone if we're dependent upon the body of Christ? 
They're praying for us. They're lifting, lifting up. Have you ever awakened in the middle of the day, you're going through your day, and all of a sudden somebody is put heavy upon your heart? And you know, so you just say a prayer for them. You don't know what's going on. You don't know why. And you say a prayer for them. I've had this happen so many times. I've had somebody come on my heart, and I'll, you know, a couple days later, I'm going, you know, I'll, I'll call them up or talk to them. I go, did you really have a problem the other day? At, you know, around this time, at, you know, on Saturday or Thursday or Monday or whatever day, God brought you to my mind, and I was praying. Oh, thank you for the prayers. I was going through the support of prayer. You know, don't ever devalue the support of prayer, the value of prayer. Lift up people in prayer. Ask for prayers. You know, we keep saying over and over, and I bring this over so many times, prayer should be the first thing on our mind, and I know that it's not in many times. Praise God when it is. There's times when I immediately go to God in prayer. Rare, but there are times. Most of the time, I'm still pretty slow. I go through the problems, I fight, and I, and I, and I battle, and I go through the hard times, and finally go, you know what, God, I'm getting tired of this battle. I'm coming to you. But you know, yes, we should. As we mature, we, we get better at it. Okay? And we should be getting better at it. Instead of fighting with him for, a long, for months at a time and ignoring him or trying to figure out how I'm going to do it for hours, we should be getting better. And yes, all of you are growing. You're getting better. I'm growing and getting better. But this is why it's so important. God has reasons for what he does. You know, we have that quote. It's now about four years old. God's perfect will is what I would choose if I knew everything. Usually we fight hard against it because we don't understand and God's saying, well, of course you don't understand. The rest of it is on the other side of, the, of time that you're not at yet. Okay? We need to be careful because we look at things from our temporal position that says, God, I don't understand. I shared with you the time I was on crutches for six months. You know, I'm looking at that, God, there's nothing good about this. I don't, you know, I'm in a lot of pain. Why are you allowing this to happen? And I didn't question him for long, but it's like, God, you know, I'm really kind of tired of this pain. When are you, you going to take it away? I know you're going to do something good out of this. I couldn't see what was going to be good about it. If I had known at the time what was going to happen a year later from the testimony that I got, I would have said, okay, God, thank you. It was all worth it. I'm getting better at saying, God, whatever I'm being put through is worth it because you are doing something with somebody for something. I'm getting better at it. Everybody should be getting better at it as we mature. Because we look back and say, oh, well, God, you put me through this and this happened. You put me through this and that person got saved. On my wall is what is the value of one soul? What am I willing to go through in my life, if one soul not only comes to Christ, but draws closer to Christ. Paul told the people, I am poured out for you completely. He's going, everything I've got has been poured out for you. I've suffered for you. I've given my life so that you could be blessed. And when we get to heaven, God is going to show us how we impacted people's lives. And I'm going to share the one thing that, I, that I've come to the conclusion of. Do you know what blesses people the most when they look at your life? Are not the super wonderful things you think you're doing. It is what you think is just common. You know, when you just live your life and you're just going through your normal day doing what you think is normal and people look when I was going through this problem with gout, serving God, I wasn't saying, look at me, how wonderful I am as I do. And I'm saying, God, thank you for the opportunity to serve you even though I'm in pain. God, I would really like to not be in pain, but I'm not gonna, we're not going to let this pain keep me from serving you. I was just being me. You know, I wasn't trying to be super spiritual. Hey, everybody, look at, look at what I'm going through. I'm in so much pain, I'm going to... No, God gave me a job to do. And just in who I am, I'm stubborn. But this is what we go through. God puts us in places where our flesh dies, and then he gives the resurrection in power. And Paul goes, pray. 
But God gives us these plans. He gives us these places and says, abide in me. Rest. Christianity is the easiest thing to do when we do it right. We rest in Christ. And listen to what he says. And then he empowers us to do what he says to do in the first place. Can you imagine if we could just learn this lesson? Rest in Christ. Let the Spirit empower us in all that he's asking us to do. And then he gives us the blessings for doing all of this. I love God's plan when I do it right. And I'm not sitting there struggling. God, how can I be nice? How can I do this? How can I, how can I make the right, you know, I just rest. Faith rest in him. You know, I rest in him because he has crucified my flesh. He's resurrected me to new life. I just hide in him. He protects me from the storms. He empowers me to speak to others and do things. And then I get blessed and, and serve through the service of others by, that he does through me. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked at all the people that come up to us and say, I watched. It's because of you that I'm here. You know, well, how do you mean? I never talked to you. Yeah, but I was watching you. you know, I was that person three cubicles down that, that watched you do your job the right way. I was the person you know, that watched you come when you were in pain. I was the person that watched you when that person mistreated you and you didn't, you didn't take a gun out and blow them away. I was, I was the person who watched you as you loved that person when I would have killed them or plotted their, plotted their, their demise through, through revenge. And I watched you and the love that you showed through God. And it impacted me. We don't know the impact that, that lives are until people come and tell us. You know, and I think in heaven, when God shows us all the little things we did, the little things that we never even think about that we've done, those times when we were just faithfully going to church and our neighbors were watching us and saying, that person always goes to church on Sunday. I don't see them not going to church. You know, yeah, but you know, we look at it and we say, you know, no big deal, I'm just going to church. But the person looks at us and saying, wow, that person's faithful. Not quite sure what it is that they're so faithful. I'm not sure about this God thing that they're... But people notice. They notice the little things we do. They notice when we don't get angry at somebody for what they did to us, especially when they look at it and say, I'd have killed that person. You know, I'd have ripped them limb from limb and they, they, they would have known that I was angry. And that person didn't get, didn't get that way with them. What a blessing when that is how we re- react and how we respond. And people can look at our life and say, there's a blessing. There's a blessing. I don't know what's different about them. People notice when we walk with God. Now, we are not perfect examples, of course. But, you know, people are seeing it. How many people in your life have you been inspired by just watching how faithful they are, how honest and good that they are? When they don't treat people bad and you're going, I want to be more like that person. Even as Christians, we look at somebody and going, that person treats people like Jesus treats them. God, help me be more like them. That person isn't bitter and crying about all the pain they're going through. I want to be more like them. And I think of somebody like Johnny Erickson Tata, where she's at now. Not where she started at, but where she's at now. God has put her through such great pain, and yet she goes, God has a purpose. And she sees what God is doing. Is she always happy about her life? I'm sure that she's not always happy about her life. But overall, she serves God and says, I'm just going to be faithful. He's put me through whatever it is. Am I always happy about everything that happens in my life? Absolutely not. But I just want to be faithful to God. Paul, at the end of his life, said, I've been faithful. I've poured out. I am poured out completely, and now it's time to go home. I want to be like Paul. As long as I have something to do in this world, I want to be here. But I agree with Paul. The only reason I want to be here is that I can be a blessing to others. The moment I can't be a blessing to others for whatever, however, I want to be in heaven. I don't want to waste my time here if people aren't, aren't being blessed. Now, having said that, we also have to be careful. There are people who have been totally bedridden, and yet their faithfulness to God still blesses others. 
still blesses others. Now, you would say, is that where you want to be? Absolutely not. I don't want to be there. But if people are being blessed and touched by God, praise God. I will do whatever it is he wants me to do. Whatever that might be. Somebody is being blessed. Somebody is being touched. Somebody is being responding. And we just get the, the blessing. And this is what we have to remember. If I'm on this world, I'm learning something or I'm blessing somebody else in the process. I'm growing. And my growth will inspire other people somehow, some way. The moment that it's not there, God's saying, come home. You've grown as much as you're going to grow. You've blessed as many people as you're going to bless. Come home. Until that point, there's something for us to do. Now, we don't always do it perfect, but God is saying, this is what's going on. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask you to help us live a life of faithfulness that sees that you have crucified us, sees that you love us. Lord, we ask that you help us as we go forward today. Bless us and keep us in Jesus' name.